this will, but the verses 17 and 18 won't. I am going to read those as well. But Habakkuk 3, 3 through 13 says, God came from Teman. Do you know I love that? I don't know how many times I've used Habakkuk 3 and 3. Immeasurable times in Bible studies when people, well, where did God come from? And I take them right there and read that. God came from Teman, and I don't say another word. God came from Teman. So these people on the Bible study said, well, you know, they're thinking, what's Teman? I said, well, you just ask where he came from. And he came from Teman. It's up to you to find out where Teman is. And Teman was south of Israel, and it was nothing was there. So really what he was saying is God came from nothing. He came from nothing. He just was. So God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise, and his brightness was as a light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was a hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and the burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow, and his ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea? That thou didst ride upon the, thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrow they went, arrows they went, and as the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst stretch the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundations unto the neck. Selah. Now Habakkuk 3:17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Aren't you glad you have hope? Set your Bibles down and give Him a hand clap of adoration. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Uh, A pastor wrote this little preface here. Uh, in this particular lesson. I thought it was excellent. I'm, I'm going to give it to you. And this is his words, and I quote, and he said, Perhaps for the first time in my life, the scenario Habakkuk described in Habakkuk 3.17 seems like a real possibility. And now think about these words and, and apply these to yourself as you hear this. He said, Friends have declared bankruptcy. They have lost their homes. People in our local assembly have been out of work and their bills continue to pile up. Drought has dried up crops in Texas while floods have washed away the, the harvest in the south. And I know there's talk about the economy improving and the, and the stock market is doing better. But will they continue to improve in this volatile uh, uh, political season? I just don't know what to expect. And this is what most people are thinking. This is what most people are feeling. And he goes on, he says, as I write, gasoline prices are fluttering at $4 a gallon. 
And he said they probably will go, and this was prior to the, the summer, but he said they'll probably go that high in Louisiana uh, as they begin to make expensive summer blends. And he goes on to say, my wife tells me of big increases in food prices. Another local company announced today it will be laying off over 400 people. The future is frightening in many respects. But what can we do? This was a question. What can we do? Habakkuk offers the only viable alternative to wringing our hands. He said, we are to praise God in spite of all of our circumstances. Mark Hall of Casting Crown, he said, wrote this. He said, I'll praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands for you who, for you are who you are no matter where I am. Regardless of what I am going through, regardless of where I am, Jesus Christ is still Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ that has, has delivered so many people in times past. Those of you that have heard the testimonies of some elder saints that have gone on to be with the Lord. Some of the bad things that people went through in depression times. Some of the bad things people went through. A lot worse than a, a lot of us are facing right now. And if God could deliver them at that time, if God could take care of them why can't that same God take care of us right now and if I believe that then I need to praise him in the good times I need to praise him in the bad times I need to lift him up regardless I know I've told this story but every time I start thinking about this and how I know people wringing their hands I remember one particular story that my my great aunt had told me uh, they lived what is now who's your national force at the time they lived up in there with a lot of farms. They were very poor farms, but there was a lot of farms there. And she made a statement that they had absolutely no money. Her and her, her husband, he said nothing. They, uh, they were without food. Uh, nobody was around to give them anything at that particular time. She said that, that she said, we went out into the woods looking for ginseng. Now, ginseng uh, now sells for about seven or $800, I want to say, a pound. Back then, I don't know, it may have been $5 a pound. But regardless, it was worth something uh, to them at that particular time. And she said, we went everywhere. And she said, I got down and she said, I began to pray. And she said, I asked God. She said, God, you know, you, we've got to have something here. You've got to show us. You've got to guide us uh, to some ginseng. And she said, uh, she opened her eyes and she said, the sun came out and shined over on a hillside and she said it was absolutely looked like this color of gold and it was all ginseng plants and they said they went to that and dug that ginseng and they came out of their heart now God just shined the light on something they still had to do some digging they still had to dry it and they still had to sell it, but the fact remained that it was shown to them and God gave them a way out. Too many people are just sitting around waiting for God to dump a million dollars in their hands, okay, without having to do anything. We're praying for a million dollars, but I, I believe God will make a way for us to get it sometime. I don't expect God just to let it come out of the heavens to rain down. I don't expect that, but you know what? I expect God to take care of the need that we're asking for. I believe God will. If we have to do a little digging and a little drying, so be it. But let's not wring our hands. I'm going to praise God in the good times. I'm going to praise God in the bad times. I'm going to lift Him up if I'm feeling bad, and I'm going to lift Him up if I'm feeling good. That is the way we're supposed to be as apostolic Christians. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, people who trust God, listen to my statement, because this is, where we, this, this is one of those creepy areas right here. People who trust God will never question his plans. 
exclamation point. My wife says that how you know the difference between her using my phone to text and, and me using it is, is how that she, she ends sentences and begins paragraphs. I have one long-running sentence and never stops. It continues. In fact, I've got one sentence been going on for about 10 years now, and it still goes. So it, <laughs> never no periods, never no nothing. You know, it's just one big long. If Lori didn't rewrite things that I wrote, people would never, never understand what I was saying. So, let's look at it again. People who trust God will never question His plans. Um, Romans 9, verse 2. Do you have it in the Amplified for me, Jessica? Do you? Okay. No, 9, 2. I'm sorry. No, wait a minute. I'm sorry. You're right. 9, 20. My brain's not working good. But who are you, a mere man, to criticize and contradict and answer back to God. Well, what is formed? Say to him that formed it, why have you made me thus? Okay, that's Romans 9.20. I think I got it. Nine, yeah. Well, it's a good thing I wrote it right on that one because I wrote it wrong here. So it's, it's a good thing. All right. <clears throat> so that tells me that I'm not supposed to question God. But the problem is we do. Did you ever just simply get into a position where you just absolutely thought everything was going to go a certain way, that you'd done everything right, that you had uh, you, you just, just prayed about this, you'd lived right? You went beyond living right. You lived so good because you were looking for this one answer. So you went beyond. You, you were walking on clouds, you know, just to be sure that God did this for you because you needed it so badly. And it didn't work. Has anybody in here ever just questioned God? Have you? Uh, I'm sorry. I know no one else. I, I'll raise my hands. <laughs> Question. But yet we got that scripture up there that tells us why have you made me, you know, why am I questioning you? You, you made me this way. That's how you get by with being too skinny or being too fat. You know? God made me this way. So, so that's how you do it. That's how you work. Uh, <laughs> now the problem is, is that this one short Habakkuk, this one short but significant book in the Bible, this Habakkuk is full of Habakkuk questioning God. That whole book, you read it. It's it's a it's a book of questioning. So obviously we're not supposed to, but the point is that we do. You know, you get the difference between the Old and the New Testament. A lot of times the prophets did question God. In the New Testament, we're supposed to have faith that God's going to take care of things. There's the difference. But regardless of how much faith we have, there's still this battle I have. I battle in my mind not wanting to question I got down to pray, and, you know, I wanted to praise God and thank Him for loving me and thanking Him for sitting on the throne and doing all the things that we're supposed to in prayer and not get to that point where, God, why did you do that? Which nine times out of ten is me that did it, not God. But, you know, still I'm still trying to deal with it. I'm still trying to, to figure out why did it work out the way that it did. And one thing that I've learned, and the longer you serve God, you find out that it's the long term that matters, not short term. And that's the, that's the key right there. And you say at one point in your, your life, you don't understand why things are going the way they are, but a year from now, two years from now, or five years, you do understand. 
But it's getting past that time of wondering. So Habakkuk felt that way. So we can look at a man here that did. So the book of Habakkuk is a back and forth. It is a, it's a conversation between a prophet and God. It begins with Habakkuk's complaint about the wickedness of God's people. And the Lord responded that he would judge his people by using the Chaldeans, which were the... Uh, uh, hang on a minute, I've, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, now I'll come back to that. About the wickedness of God's people. And the Lord responded and he would judge his people by Chaldeans. And now the Chaldeans, according to Habakkuk 1, 6 and 7, were a bitter and a hasty nation. They were called the terrible and the, and the dreadful Chaldeans. Habakkuk did not think they, that appropriate, and he told God so. So he said, God, why would you do that? Why would you judge your people with the Chaldeans? They were Babylonish, by the way. So, so for his, you know, he asked him this. So he, he answered, and, and God answered Habakkuk's protest by his pronouncements that brought no comfort. This presented Habakkuk with a dilemma. He could choose... He could choose to live in anger and fear, or he could embrace and trust in God. And it's just this sort of choice that is presented to every one of us today. You can choose to be angry about your situation and be fearful, or you can choose to trust in God and realize that one day it's going to work out. You may not know when. You may not understand the time frame and all this. This is the reason it's... And I'm just like anybody else. And there's times when my faith seems like it's a height. I know I've trusted God. I've come through some bad things. I've seen things work out I never thought would work out. I've seen that, but it still comes for the immediate. And I still come sometimes to that dilemma. What am I going going to do here this is not working out the way that i thought it would i can choose to be angry and fearful that it will never work out or i can make a choice that i'm going to trust god and i'm going to love god and whatever happens it's going to happen that's just a choice i have to make habakkuk's world was a very confusing place he his enemies of the jewish people abounded both inside and out judah had become a poor and weak nation uh, smaller by far than any other time in its history Nineveh had fallen in 612 B.C., but the Assyrian Empire, uh, though, though declining, was still a force to be reckoned with, and especially because of its alliance with Egypt. Carchemish was one of the last strongholds of Assyria, and the Babylonians and the Medes were on their way to subdue it. Egypt wanted to prevent this at all costs, but as they hurried along the way of the sea to Carchemish, they encountered King Josiah's army at Megiddo on the plain of Jezreel. And King Necho tried to talk peace with Josiah, but the Judean king would not listen. A battle ensued, and Josiah was killed. Egypt won at Megiddo, but lost in Carchemish. And besides the external enemies, there were problems among God's people. And although there had been revival during Josiah's reign, God was still angry about the ungodliness that flourished during the reign of Manasseh. Now, when he had seduced them, Judah, to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel, in 2 Kings 21.9. In Habakkuk's day, toward the end of Josiah's reign, the powerful oppressed the, the powerless. You see this. It was a time when powerful people was oppressing the powerless people. And, and to some degree, you see that today worldwide. You see this worldwide going on, and, and you wonder, and you see the, you know, the possibilities of war. 
that, that we say, but it's always been possibilities. But if you see the fronts that we're beginning to face, it's not now just a matter of, of facing, you know, we've got the, the Syria thing going on. You've got, you've got North Korea thing going on. You still uh, you have the uh, Middle East, you know, the Iraq. You still have all that going on there. And now we throw Russia into the midst. Do you realize that what we are looking at is a time that is building up to the end time? And I'm going to tell you something, folks, and I've said this before. Before the rapture of the church occurs, it's going to be a little bit worse. When I say a little bit, I'm being nice. You know, I think, I, I know, I don't think we're going to go through the tribulation, but I think we we're going to have some hard times that will make us think that we're going to go through the tribulation. And we've gone through it now. This has been one of the longest times of recession I think we've ever faced. We've never been in it this long. And all of it is because of the cost of oil. It's all there. It's because people are making a mint on, on oil. And regardless, you know, they go on, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to put solar panels out, we're going to put windmills up, we're going to do all this, and none of that's going to answer the problem. Number one, if even if it could, the oil companies won't allow it to happen. So, you know, we're, we're looking at a, at a time like we've never seen before. And the rapture is going to take place. It is going to take place, and, and we will have some hard times during that. So we see this, uh, you know, in, in Habakkuk's day towards the end of Josiah's reign, the powerful, again, oppressed the powerless, and integrity waned while corruption increased, and Habakkuk had tried to stem the tide of evil by calling the people to repentance, but no one heeded him, and evil still flourished. And he complained, O Lord, how shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? This is his cry in Habakkuk 1 2. How long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? So that's a big question on Habakkuk's part. He wasn't trusting. How long, God, am I going to pray this prayer, but you're not hearing me? God always 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 hears our prayers and God always answers prayers though it may not be according to our timetable and we may not like the answer at all that the Lord gives now this was the case with Habakkuk God answered the prophet's complaint by revealing his plan to use those godless Chaldeans those Babylonians to judge the Jewish people they would destroy the land. They would wreak havoc on the rich and the poor, the good and the bad. Habakkuk was stunned. You know, we see that scripture. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We use that every time we get a headache. But do you realize the, 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 what that scripture is really saying? Do you realize the implication of that scripture? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the good and the evil. Do you realize that that means that whatever bad is happening out there to, to the world can actually come in and happen to us here? It can happen. And for us to set back, I trust God and I believe God. I have faith in God. But I tell you, faith has is, is, is definitely taken a turn for me because now faith, I have faith for today, but trust for tomorrow. I trust God because things may not be working out the way my faith is saying for right now, but tomorrow my trust is going to continue to be in the Lord that He's going to work this out according to His good glory. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's to His glory that He's working things out. 
And it's the long term that I am looking at. It's the long term that, that lets me know that if uh, there's certain things that we have that God has given us that we do not, we, we do not take, well, let me, let me rephrase that. We do take for granted. Good things, our families are, are well. We have our children in good shape. They're, they're doing, you know, good things. They're serving God. We look at these things and we, we, we see them every day. And we don't thank God for them. We don't, you know, we, it, it's some small thing that makes us question God. Some small thing that is happening that really doesn't amount to anything. But, and we forget the good things that God has done for us day by day. You know, the thing is, you may be, you may be struggling to make ends meet, but the thing, you are making ends meet. You may be struggling, you get tired of the struggle, but there's a lot of people out there that's got a worse struggle than what you have. It's just a matter of being able to, 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 to understand what the long term is and understand what is God trying to do in my life. What is my, my, my life ministry, if you would? And I truly believe that. I believe sometimes people have got one thing in their whole life that they do that can make a difference. Their life ministry can be one thing. It may not be preaching for 30 years. It may not be, but it may be one thing that you do, one person that you witness to, one Bible study that you teach, one prayer that you pray and you follow through on. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's your life ministry. God's using you for that thing, that time. And for us to go around and question God, you know what? What's next? What's next? May not be anything next. May not be anything. Maybe God requires of you just to be a good saint until He finds something else. Maybe there's something else down the road for you. But I'm saying that we have to learn to just embrace what we have at the time and realize that God loves us and is taking care of us. And let's do what God wants us to do. And if it's just one thing, and now that's that's, that's so much to understand God. You know, he, you see, you see Habakkuk stun. Some responses, some responses seem more unfair than the problem. Okay. You take two children. They're fighting over. They're fighting over a toy. And uh, mom comes in, and she takes the toy away from both of them. Now, do you think that those children are going to understand that response? That's worse than the, the, than the battle. The toy is now put up, and it's put up for, for two weeks. And they do not understand why that had to happen. Do you think that we are any different than children? Can we, a child cannot understand a, an adult's way of thinking, and we cannot understand God's way of thinking. God sometimes pulls away our toys. And he puts them up for a while. You know, I'm surprised sometimes uh, at the amount of good apostolic preachers that have been used in conferences and, and you know, just out there. Everybody wants them. And for the years that I've, I've been serving God, the amount of these people that were used that have gone into false doctrine, that have fallen away. I, I, and I know I've mentioned this before, but just recently I heard of some other situations that have recently occurred. And, and I look at this, and, I, and I've, I've questioned God about this. I, I've questioned. I said, God, you know, these, these are men 
And, you know, we've got a pat answer on this. Of course, the devil's going to attack somebody that's up there. A preacher's preacher is going to be attacked because it discourages the men. You know, I understand that. But on the other side of it, let, let's, let's look at the other side, understanding here. Yes, it does. But how about these men? How about, the, you know, yeah, we, we worry about the people of influence, but how about them? Are we guilty? Are we guilty of elevating people? Before their time, are we just because someone's got a great, great testimony? You know, I was in prison 40 years and, you know, I got shot in the mouth and didn't hurt me. And, you know, all kinds of stuff. You know, and I've heard when I'm saying I've heard all that before. And, it, and I don't doubt it. But we like to bring that in to, you know, wow, you know, God's done this and God's done that. But how about the fact that we, 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 don't, we don't discern, we don't pray I don't think God wants to put people in a situation like that when he knows the end from the beginning that this can destroy them. Why would he do that? And I don't believe he does. But we do. Because we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to bring people in. We're trying to get people interested in hearing this, this great testimony and, 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 and all that goes along with it. And there's some great men that have gone on, had a great testimony, and preached for years and years and went on to be with the Lord. But it seems like more so now than ever before, we've got people out there who are just flat lying to get into the limelight. It becomes nothing more than just a, a getting up there and, and telling a big story that's not half true. You know, are we guilty? Now, with that thought in mind, on a smaller scale, we do the same thing within churches. We, 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 we take people and we, we put them in positions, and I'm guilty of this. You know, I've done this, and I, I'm saying this. And, and, and they fall away because they can't. It's not necessarily what the devil has done. They can't take the, the pressure. And you can't talk. You can't sit back and tell somebody the pressure that they'll be under. It's impossible because they think that I can do this no matter what. They can't, but the pressure is intense and not just from the fact it's from the devil. It's a fact it's from people that are watching you. People that put more on you than, than you can bear. And you say, well, God won't. God doesn't put more on you, but people do. So we get into, into that situation of going back to the, you know, to, the, to the mom who takes things away. We they don't understand how God does things. And, and I believe God sometimes pulls a person away from a situation because he knows the end from the beginning and he knows what's going to happen. And we may not understand why everything has fell apart in our ministry or whatever it may be that we're doing. Why did it fall apart? Well, it's because God does know what's ahead. Samuel got... His knee messed up playing football. I don't know how bad it is. And, I, I, you know, everybody knows me. I think football is stupid. Just like basketball, just like any of it, you know. And I just do. My, my daughter knows it. They, I, I go along with it. But I don't like it. There's a lot of things I don't like I go along with. Believe me, if I really preached the way I wanted to, I'd have two saints. I want to be me and want to be my wife. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but you know, sometimes it, it doesn't matter. But I, I look and I, 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 told, I told Christy yesterday, I said, you know what, this is a bad thing. But I said, if it hadn't happened, I said it could have been his neck that was broke. Because there's people sitting in wheelchairs right now because of football. You know, it could have been his neck. We don't, we don't understand. And, you know, trying to get that across to 12-year-olds is kind of difficult to do. It's hard. 
But I, I say that, and, and you know, I, it, it's, again, I believe everything will be fine, but the point is that we look at these things, and again, as a child, we see things, you know, this is, I'm not going to be able to play football anymore. And, and, and the same way with adults. Well, with, because this has happened to me, I'm never going to have a ministry. That's not true. You know, it's not true at all. It's the fact that God pulls you away from something before there is something that occurs that can destroy you. We grow by our trials. We do not grow by our victories. We never do. Because if we have one victory after the other, we begin to think that's all that there ever will be. And then before long, the, the sad truth comes along. God, our victories, we have to claw for them. But our trials, God puts on us to help us to grow to understand that that's the way life is. Now, moving on. God showed Habakkuk a vivid picture of the judgment he would unleash upon his people. He was on to say, with horses swifter than leopards, with destruction swooping in like an eagle. The Babylonians would, would attack and possess even the strongholds of Judah, destroying the most powerful. They would possess the homes throughout the entire breadth of the land. While it was not altogether clear when such destruction would take place, Habakkuk understood that the fulfillment would be very soon. And indeed, most scholars suggest... Now, this is another thing. Habakkuk was seeing this. God was telling Habakkuk, this is what's going to happen. Habakkuk was, you know, was prophesying, arguing with God all at the same time. And, and most of the scholars feel like that the, the judgment took decades to get there. So we see another one. That was the same way with Amos. We see, we see all this happening. You know, do you realize if I'm here telling you the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, and I preach at every service, every service, you begin to get to the point where you're looking up all the time because you're expecting it. And God is coming, but it may not be for five years. It may not be for ten. I believe it will be, but I'm just saying it may not be. I'm not, I, you know, I can be wrong on that. No man knoweth the day or the hour. But it's the same way with Habakkuk. You know, he's telling them this is going to happen, but it could have been 40 years before it occurred. And it's the same way with us. You know, we, we know something bad can happen, but in our, our time frames are so messed up. We think of the immediate and God doesn't. Immediate for God is a hundred years or two hundred years or a thousand years. So we, we have to, so it, so it took, in Habakkuk's case, you know, it was a few decades. So Habakkuk's knowledge of the, of the pride and the godliness of the, godlessness, rather, of the Chaldeans made it difficult to accept uh, God's intentions to use them to punish the people of God. And he knew that the Babylonians would credit their God, Bel, with their, with their successful campaign throughout Judea. Habakkuk would not fathom how God could allow it. Habakkuk had petitioned God to intervene because of the wickedness of the Jewish people, but he did not expect this sort of intervention. One common misconception is that a person who really loves the Lord will not question God's wisdom. And it is a misconception. We do. However, along with the psalmist who have often queried God's actions and purposes, Habakkuk dared to voice his own set of questions. God's answer shocked the prophet, and he, and he burst out in protest. And surely God did not intend to destroy 
his own people. It simply did not seem to be right. And he challenged God. He said, we shall not die in Habakkuk 12. And Habakkuk reminded God of his, his character and his faithfulness in verse 12. And he asked how Jehovah, God, could possibly punish the Jewish people with an enemy that was certainly less righteous than they were. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? And so he, he looks at this. Habakkuk used a, a simile to describe the, the helplessness of the Jewish people against this, this destroyer. They were like fish of the sea caught in the net and gloated over by the wicked fishermen in, in Habakkuk 1.14-17. Now what does God do? He answers him. It does not seem right that wicked people prosper, and particularly at times when those who are faithfully living for God are struggling. Such circumstances run counter to what we believe ought to be, even to what we believe the, the Word of God promises. For instance, the book of Proverbs assures blessings to those who do right, to those who are living in the covenant. And one proverb teaches, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Now look at that, Proverbs. I've taught on that. Proverbs 10.22. He adds no sorrow with it. Yeah, it's no wonder that Habakkuk had questions. No wonder. But it's important to understand that God sees things differently than we do. Sometimes when we focus on our difficult circumstances, we forget God can use even terrible circumstances for good things. While it boggled Habakkuk's mind that God could accomplish his purpose through a godless people, he would begin to understand only when he acknowledged that God's perspective is bigger than any human understanding. In chapter 2 of Habakkuk, God began to offer hope, yet it was a hope that would enfold in time. He tells him, he said, there is, there's hope here. I'm going to offer you hope. But it's going to take time for you to get it. It's not going to happen immediately. I offer you hope. But you're going to have to wait on it. Can anybody truthfully tell me that you, you've gone through some really... Let me finish my statement before you raise your hand. You've really, really gone through some hard times, but you stayed faithful even when you didn't understand it. And in the end, in the end of it all, you could look back and see God's hand and where you are now. Can you raise your hand and say that you went through hard times, but now you've improved. Things are better for you. And you understand, I have. I have. And I will continue to do so. Uh, because things will, you know, there's always that problem. There's, there's things, and, and a lot of it is, is the direction that I take that God has to guide me back to. Because regardless of who we are and how much we pray, we have a tendency to go the easiest way. And so we have to be backed down or stopped. <laughs> I can remember who he was, one of those prosperity preachers. Made a statement one time that, and it, 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 was, it was good, one of the best things he ever said. He said, when things are going bad, he said, I have to stop and retrace my steps and find out where I went wrong and fix it. And that's what we have to do. I know some of you, some of you didn't raise your hands, it's gone through some difficult times, but now you're better off than you've ever been. You're a lot better off than you've ever been. But it took time. And you didn't go out and pluck $100 bills off the tree in your front yard. 
that the hundred dollar bills came, it came by the sweat of your brow. But the fact remains that you have some place to go sweat. Where a lot of people don't have a place to go sweat, right? If there's any guy that understood the sweat of your brow, it's me when I come up here. I sweat and sweat and sweat. Sweat like poor Obama at an NRA meeting. <laughs> NRA meeting now. <laughs> Can you imagine him speaking at the NRA meeting? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, NRA is National Rifle Association. <laughs> oh, glory. Well, I got everybody awoken. <laughs> okay. So he sees him and <clears throat> offers hope. And now the scope, the scope of Habakkuk's concern encompass not only just his own future, but the future existence of Judah. As a prophet, he played an important role, one similar to a watchman on the wall of a city. In the ancient Near East, watchman stationed in the city's watchtower. They scanned the horizon for anyone who approached, whether friend or foe. Habakkuk wrote this. He said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what God will say unto me. Habakkuk was not sure what God's response would be to his objection of the divine sentence of judgment. Nevertheless, he awaited God's correction and thought about how he would answer God's reproof. He said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to wait on it. I'm going to watch for it. I'm going to see this thing come to pass. That's a, that's a fabulous statement right there. The fact that he was willing to be like the watchman. I'm going to get on the tower. He said, I'm going to watch and see when your reproof comes through. I'm not going to be the first one to see this happen. Because I want to get through this thing. Anybody else like that? And me, I like to, whatever thing I really don't want to do, I like to get into it just as quick as I can to get it done. Because I don't like dealing with it. I don't like thinking about things. I would prefer to do it instantly. You know, that's the reason. If somebody says, I need to talk to you, Brother Robertson. Don't make an appointment. Let's just do it now. It's done. Because if you have a chance to think about it, it'll get longer. That's good preaching, isn't it? Yeah. So you don't think about it. You know, you just, just, just what, what is it? What's your, what's your difficulty? Let's, let's figure it out. And nine times out of ten, I don't have an answer for it, but all you wanted to do was talk about it anyway. So just, just get it out, get it over with, and go on. So if God is going to reprove them, he said, I'm going to watch for it. I'm going to wait on it. I'm waiting for it to appear on the horizon. Let's get through it, and let's get to the hope that you're offering me. Get through the reproof. Get to the hope. And that's what he was saying. So during Habakkuk's sojourn in the watchtower, God promised to deliver his people from the Babylonians, and he renewed hope in the prophet's heart. God told Habakkuk to write the message of hope so anyone who read it would understand and run to spread the good news. But the message did not end there. It is still true today that God cannot deliver His people unless there is something to deliver them from. You ever think, anybody want to answer this for me? Some of you intelligent people, I'm not smart. Did you ever think that a lot of times deliverance... Now I know God, individually, we're important to God. He loves us individually. But do you ever think that maybe... 
that some of the deliverance that we ask for so much is not just a personal level, but it's a church-wide thing. Do you think it's possible that we would see more deliverance if there was more things that we need to be delivered from? It's got something on that? Okay. The the that I mean this is this is my I know individually and, and I believe God cares for us. I, please don't don't misread me here. But sometimes I think deliverance. You know, uh, we want. I guess what I'm trying to say. If I had one drug addict, God can deliver him from from drugs. But I've seen a lot of people that have gotten deliverance to go back to it. But what if? What if you had 50 drug addicts? Would that be more the deliverance that God is interested in? Do you get what I'm saying? Is anybody, am I just off the top? Do you think I'm, I'm a little silly here? Because I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Israel, and Israel as a nation was delivered. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you agree with me that you think it's 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 more than just a one one person thing. It's it's a group thing. Because you're right. It was the, everybody was crying out. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The people were. You know, if I'm just me crying out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He might come and take me out. But there may not be the rapture. So so you know, I, I I'm just I, I'm I'm just I'm just throwing some things out there. Uh, not necessarily. Again, I, I don't want you to think that God won't deliver one person. He does. And I, I've been delivered. You've been delivered. We've all been delivered. But I'm thinking deliverance would come in a greater scale if more people could cry out together for that deliverance. You know, what if the church, what if the church began to pray and cry out, God, I, I want to see drug addicts, not just naming a name, but drug addicts delivered, and God would bring 50 or 100 drug addicts into the church. And you, I mean, do you realize the scope of the miraculous that would happen there? Even if we, we went into, it's people that God delivered people with cancer. And God brought a bunch of people in with cancer. I, I just, I, I think there's, there, there's something that, that's been clicking in me ever since I've been gone. That, that, that we, we look at things in such a small scale. And, and I, I realize... That again, if Keith's got something wrong with him, that's important to him. And I believe God sees that as important. But if he does have something wrong with him, that he could begin to pray and say, God, bring people that's got my problem into the church and deliver us all. I'm wondering if we would pray that kind of prayer. Because that is a selfless prayer. You know, I've got the problem, but so do a lot of other people. Bring them in and deliver us all. Wouldn't it be great to be able to put your arms around five or six people, even, and that's all got the same problem, and see all of them delivered at the same time? Maybe it's just Robertson talking here.
you go. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's just, there is so much, there's so much that has to do with compassion. And, and so few of us that really understand the, the concept of compassion. And more and more, I, I, I see, you know, we talk, it's so easy to talk faith. It's so easy to talk healing and talk deliverance. But to have the compassion, and it's hard in this world to have compassion when you've got people that come in and, and they don't really care about being delivered. They just want you to finance their problem. And it's hard. It's hard to have compassion. It's hard for me, you know, and, and, and I, I talked about it Wednesday about the holy cynicism. Sometimes there is a holy cynicism. But that doesn't mean that everybody's that way. But we have, to, we, have to be, we have to be careful, but we also have to be careful in the fact that we don't want to judge everybody by the same measure. Anyway, that's a problem with me in teaching. The more I teach, the more things open up to me, the more I like to, I like to discuss them with smart people. Smarter than me, anyway. So he told them that they need to go. Now, as we've already discovered in Habakkuk, when, when evil attacks, it is not always the guilty alone who suffer. And it isn't. You know, the bad thing about doing things and you begin to reap what you sow, and if you're married and you're a man and you've done some wrong and, and you begin to, uh, God begins to chastise you, you begin to reap what you sowed, your wife, who is innocent, reaps with you. I think that's a lot about what the Scripture is saying, the just rain falls on the just and the unjust. I really think a lot of times it's families that, that they suffer. You know, it, could be a, it could be a father, it could be a mother, but when they begin to, to reap for that, there's others that reap, reap the same thing. Uh, you know, my wife's had the stomach flu for a week now, and I don't want to reap that. You know, I told her, I said, you keep it. And the thing is that she has, and I really'd like to see her get over it, but I don't want it, you know. So I, I, anybody here wants to take that for it, then, then just feel free. You know, just let me know. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. They, they, it's, it's, the, it's the key, though, that a lot of times it's like that. You know, you're in, you're in a room or you're in a place where someone's got some kind of sickness like that. You know, you, you, that person is reaping that sickness, if you would. Well, there's a good chance that you'll catch the same thing. And I think it's a lot, a lot the same way. And, and whatever we do, you just the word again. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. So we see they have to endure those hardships. It's interesting to see the different ways that people respond to suffering. According to principles from the book of Habakkuk, the proud respond to calamity by trusting in themselves. This is not helpful because their moral character is not upright, according to uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 4. On the other hand, those who are living godly lives demonstrate this by trusting in the God who called them into the covenant. The principle offered in Habakkuk 2 4 is a key principle in life. The just shall live. You ever just took that scripture and broke it, just left it right there? The just shall live. That's a promise. The just shall live. That is, and what that means is that the just will survive. They will endure. They will make it to the end. Now, though their, their faithful living and, and covenant relationship with God, regardless of what comes against them, they're going to make it to the end. 
The spiritual truth that the just shall live by faith is just as true today as it ever has been. The just shall live. You're going to make it to the end. You're going to survive. Now, I'm not, I'm not here trying to... to, to I'm, I'm teaching the book of, of Habakkuk, but I want you to know I'm not just talking about a fact I'm just hanging on by the tips of my fingers. You know, I don't believe we have to do that. I think that regardless of how bad it is, if we get the concept, I'm, I'm going to praise God regardless of whether the grapes are, are on the vine or whether the olives are on the tree, and I'm going to love Him, I'm going to praise Him. That's the key. It's keeping joy in the midst of the bad things that keeps us way above it all. Yeah, I may be hanging, if I am hanging on by the tips of my fingers, I don't know it. Because I'm joyful and I know that regardless, if I slip, God's going to bear me up. The key to anybody's survival when it comes to living for God is, is the key and the understanding that no matter what, by faith, I'm going, to, I'm going to overcome this. That if I truly go out on the limb, I can saw the limb off and God's going to catch me. And if we don't have that kind of trust, we won't make it. That's why people backslide all the time. That's why people give up. Because they feel like they're hanging on. All of us at one time or the other have hung on by the tips of our fingers. But we didn't always realize it because we were happy and joyful with the God that loves us so much. It's enough for me to know that Jesus Christ loves me and that He saved me. That is enough for me to know. I may not be rich. I may not have everything that I would like to have. But guess what? i got everything I need. And until we understand that, we're going to have problems. And we will always have problems. That's what Habakkuk's trying to tell us today. That's the truth. God did not need Habakkuk to point out the evils of Babylon. Now, he didn't. As if to say, thank you, Habakkuk, but I already know how evil they are. So the Lord repeated Habakkuk's list of evils and even added a few the prophet had missed. He depicted the Babylonians as a drinking man, hungrily swallowing nations and people. Judah should not lose hope, however, for God would repay Babylon in kind for the evil they had done. God instructed those who had suffered to prophetically sing a, and this is what it's called in one version of the, or actually it's the New American Standard, uh, to sing a taunt song, a taunt song. This was to be sung against them. And that means it's a derisive song of judgment against the Babylonian. God proclaimed, take up a parable against them, and a taunting proverb against them in Habakkuk 2.6. Now the rest of the chapter 2 declares a, 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 a haunting poetry, how Babylon would be destroyed, because you, Babylon, have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in in Habakkuk 2.8. The very stones of the walls and the support beams would cry out against the Babylonian for his evil. And though the Babylonians would think their gods had given them victory over the Jewish people, this was hardly the case. Their victory was in vain, for there would come a day when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And Habakkuk 2.14 Jehovah prophesied his victory would be as total as the way in which the water covers the bottom of the sea. So God always, when things come up and a judgment comes up, there's 
always hope that comes at the end of it all. And this is what Habakkuk was prophesying to the people. Yes, you're going to go through some hard times, but guess what? It's all going to end right. It's all going to be good at the end. And you may be enduring right now, but joy is going to be coming in the morning. And regardless of what you're enduring right now, I want you to take this for granted. I want you to understand this, that joy is going to come. Finances will be better. You're going to do better in the midst where everybody else is going the wrong direction. You're going to be going the right direction. That's the prophecy of Habakkuk and that's the prophecy of McCormick's Creek Church. Give him a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, Babylonian ritual in, in, in homage to their god, Bell, was, was among the most elaborate religious rituals in the entire ancient Near East. They had processions and pomp were the norm in Babylonian worship. Elaborate gold-covered idols set in shrines that extended high above the earth. Parades and pronouncements declared that all their wealth and beauty was dedicated to the Babylonian pantheon. The very pervasiveness of the religion and the politics of Babylon seemed to prove the superiority of their religious system and their gods. Yet Jehovah declared to Habakkuk that these man-made symbols proved nothing. These so-called gods were not gods at all. They were merely crafted images that could never speak. The foolish Babylonians prayed to inanimate objects they created with their own hands, according to the second chapter of Habakkuk, verses 18 and 19. And in contrast, there's only one real God who speaks and declares, one who prophesies, it becomes to pass, and it comes to pass. And Jehovah alone had power to pronounce judgment upon Babylon. And because he was God, he would come to pass. And the, and the Jewish people should not be intimidated by false worship. For the Lord is in his holy temple, in and, and Habakkuk 2.20. Indeed, when the glory and the majesty of the work of God is ultimately revealed, worshipers of false gods will be speechless. And appropriately, Habakkuk closed this section with a pronouncement, Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now Habakkuk closes with a song that encompasses God's promises and the response of his people. That's Habakkuk 3 verse 1. This indicates that Habakkuk's prayer was upon Shigmoth. This, and this phrase is the same, the same sort of preface as it offered in Psalm 7. And while there is a question whether this has to do with a sort of instrument or a song being performed, it is clear that, that the chapter is a song and that captures the celebration of trust embraced by Habakkuk. In the song, the prophet offers reasons why God's people should live faithful lives. The whole third chapter is a song or a psalm, if you would, to why we should have hope or why God's people should have hope. Habakkuk begins the psalm by considering God's miraculous power and establishing Israel as a nation. He requested another miracle that God would revive the work in the midst of the years. That is, Habakkuk wanted God to work with Judah in the same way he delivered Israel from Egypt to create a people. He said, don't let us go down. You, create, you can create in us just like you created a people when they came out of Egypt. Now, given the poetic nature of the song. It is sometimes hard to ascertain what Habakkuk was celebrating because he often referred to names and events indirectly or in, in, in a repetitious way. Nevertheless, the psalm powerfully emphasized the greatness of God in his work. 
The psalm begins by standing in the perspective of Israel as they experience the glory of God on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.16. He goes on to say Teman and Paran are poetically parallel to Mount Sinai. Thus Habakkuk celebrated this Sinai experience by singing, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran in Habakkuk 3.3. A repetition that celebrates the giving of the law on Sinai. And further, God's glory was experienced as light and horns, or rays of light that came from His hand. Given the mighty demonstration of Jehovah's glory at Sinai, it was easy for Habakkuk to reflect backward to Mount Sinai. And this is a key element for every one of us. It's easy for us to go back and realize, regardless of how bad things are, do you remember back ten years ago, five years ago, two years ago, how bad things were then? But guess what? God took us through it. Now let's reflect back on that and realize that God is no respecter of persons, and if He did it for me once, then He will do it for me again. I'm the same guy I've always been. I'm not let down in one area of my life. I've not always been perfect, but I've always been a person who knew how to repent. Are you with me? And if I can do that, and I can forgive people, and I can keep my Holy Ghost and my joy, then guess what? God is going to continue to do good things. Yes, sir, I'm going through a dry spell right now. I'm going through a drought. But guess what? God is right there, and He's going to take me through it. Aren't you glad? Praise God. I had a letter uh, last week. Uh, it, it was unusual. I hate to say that, but it, but it is. And this was something I didn't even know really it was a, had been a problem. But it was, it was probably 25 years ago. And, and an individual wrote me a letter, and they apologized uh, for leaving a church. This is, again, 25 years. And they asked forgiveness for it. This person, long way off. And um, they went on to kind of explain themselves, and, and I thought it was interesting. It had nothing really to do with us. But when they were younger, uh, and they were in a church not too far from here, and they... Uh, her dad was in that church and he had a disagreement with a pastor so she decided to go to another church and she, she talked to the pastor she made this statement and she, made this sta- she said this in the letter she said I told the pastor that there was a drought in this church and I needed to go somewhere else and, and you know and, and that was the gist she was just making apologies and, and um but she said that really is what started her problems. It started the, the difficulties. And from that point, she had trouble staying anywhere. And, and I thought, you know, and I thought a lot about it. And, and it kind of goes along with what Habakkuk was saying here. That if there is a drought in a church, it's up to the people to bring them out of drought. That's not just a one-person thing. If there's a drought in the church, we need to pray the drought away. You know, a church is not made up of one, two, or three people. It's made up of the total. The totality of the congregation, everyone's important. So we, we, we need to understand that, that problem. And, and, and rather than run from something, you ever stop and think, of, what if your life ministry was just that? To help pray away a drought that was in a church. But when you get out of the will of God, it follows you. And you know, this is what she was trying to do. She was trying to go to her back trail and make everything right all the way through. 
And I, it's appreciated, you know. I, I never seen a problem, but she was just going to every, every church that she had ever been a part of and just to making apologies. And that, uh, you know, I, it makes you think, you know, there's definitely hope for a person that's willing to. They want their life to change. They, they desire some change. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing it's to, to be able to look to that and, and move on and try to get yourself to where you can move on. So he goes on, and, and uh, subsequent verses poetically celebrate God's marching into Canaan as he had led his people to victory. Habakkuk had both the, the Red Sea and the Jordan River in view when he sang of God's anger with the rivers and the sea as he divided them. He said God's bow would make quite naked, meaning he unsheathed it and filled it with string with arrows. In verses 10 through 11, Habakkuk poetically represented nature as viewing God's victorious power. Mountains trembled in response as the waters separated and the deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and the moon still stood in response to God's arrows and his spear. He's talking about the power of God. And in spite, despite God's great power, he still would allow judgment to come upon the Jewish people. This is the point. In spite of how great God is and His willingness and how, how much everything He responds to God because He's the creator of all things. But He still was not going to withhold His judgment that goes upon the Jewish people. Things would get worse before they got better. In verse 16, Habakkuk reflected on the prophecy that was delivered to him by the Lord. And poetically, he mourned with personal grief as it related to the coming judgment, trembling with a sense of inner decay. Yet, because of God's power and might, he confessed he would rest quietly, wait on God's provision in the days of trouble. Thus, the invasion of the Babylonians would not be merely a one-sided judgment. Jehovah promised he would invade them with his troops. Ultimately, God would bring victory. So Habakkuk was not altogether sure how God would bring ultimate deliverance, but he was sure that God would triumph in the end. And consequently, Habakkuk offered the only appropriate response to this. This is the in-between time is what he's talking about. So in-between time, the time when he could do nothing but await God's deliverance, Habakkuk offered praise. So this was it. So we're in-between time. So what do you do? You praise. I'm waiting on God's deliverance. I'm waiting on God to do it. God knows where I'm at. God knows my prayer up to this point. He knows what I need. So what do you do in between? You praise God. That's why you, that's why you come to church. I honestly think that church is always an in-between time. We're always waiting on something from God. We're always waiting on something that we need. So what do we do? We just come to church. We praise God. We get encouraged through the Word of God. We know that through the Word of God, God is going to come through the way that He has promised to come through. Now what do I do? I'm waiting on God. So what do you do while you're waiting on God? You praise God. You don't care what the grapes are going, the olives are doing. You don't care about that. That's in God's hands. So in between, I praise. In between, I lift up the name of Jesus. In between, I thank Him for what He's going to do. That's what he's talking about. Verse 17, Habakkuk professed that whether or not he had any physical evidence of God's blessings, it would not make a difference to his faith. If the fig tree did not blossom, if there was no grapes on the vines or the olives harvested from the trees, or even if the flock offered no yield, Habakkuk's response would be the same. He pronounced, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk had confidence God would be with him no matter what. 
Just as God enables a, a deer or a mountain goat to tread with confidence on uncertain and treacherous trails, so Habakkuk offered in celebration, Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. So we make a choice. We live in uncertain times. We all do. And just as in Habakkuk's day, we often find injustice. We find it. We find it in our own lives. Where we expect integrity. But we find injustice. To make matters worse, we cannot always find recourse for wrongs that have been done. Such times compel us to place our trust in God who never fails. Just as Habakkuk had a choice to doubt or to affirm his trust in God, we also have that same choice today. Further, just as Habakkuk expressed his confidence in God by a song of praise, we too can choose to praise God in the face of adversity. I'm going to, I'm going to praise him. That's what we come to church for. I have a worship service. I want to praise God. If you don't like the way that I praise God, then, you know, that's, that's fine. You, you can have your choice to sit back and in, enjoy your bad times. Now, I don't just praise God when I'm having bad times. You know, I get a little bit louder when times are good. Now, I will have to admit that's my worst thing. My, my, my loudness may be better when things are good than it would be when things are bad. But one thing's for sure. I'm going to praise regardless. God's going to get something from this guy. Right, give him a hand clap and stand with me. I had a uh, situation while I was gone. And, you know, you, little things that God prevents from happening, you, you, you sometimes have to look back in retrospect to see what happened. I was, uh, I, when I was in Canada, in the, I was up in a stand, and I'd taken a top of a climbing stand that I had because it's got a nice soft seat, you know, and they, what they have up there, you got to sit on a plank board, you know, and I, it's not good for people like me. And... Uh, <laughs> So I take this thing up, and the trees are all scrawny. I like that. About like in Maine, scrawny. And so I put this thing up, and, and there's a certain way you do it. And I forgot to click one thing in. And I'm up about 20 feet. I'm 25 miles away from camp. And uh, wind blows, moves a tree, and that thing pops. And I'm like this. And it caught. It, it caught before it went any further. But, you know, I'm down like this. I'm looking at straight down at the ground still in the stand. <laughs> and that's a, it had a bar in front of it. And that's another reason I took it. And, uh, you know, at the time, I, I, I thought, God, you prevented a really terrible... I don't think I could take him 20 feet down on the ground. I don't think I could do it. And especially the way I was going to fall. And, and you... You know, you, you look at little things like this, and, and these are more and more, and maybe we all do it to some extent, but more and more you, you look back at what God keeps us from. You know, I can't say that I had even time to cry out to God to help me, but I had been doing a lot of praying. And so that praying prevented something. You know, you look at situations a lot, and you see things that happen to people, odd accidents uh, that happen. And you, you, know, you, you, you wonder why, but then you also see in your life, and that's not to say that things can't change. You know, the next time, the rain may fall on the just and the unjust. I may take a face dive into the, into the moss. I hope not. Mess up my beautiful complexion. 
But the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, is how many times has God stopped things in your life? How many times? How many times have you been, you've been driving along and you, know, and you see something occur off to the side, which that could have been you, but it wasn't. The one thing that I, I, I really asked God, I said, next time, God, please help me with this. I was coming back home, got 469, hits 465, and I wish that you were there. Because all of them were driving like him, and I could have gotten it back and hid my face and just let him went the way. <laughs> that guy, he can get in traffic and drive like nobody I've ever seen, unless he's changed in his old age. I don't think. Slow down some. Yeah, he about gave me a heart attack a few years ago. But thank God that he keeps us from bad things. Let's raise our hands to him right now. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. We ask, God, that you would move upon us greatly. Keep each and every one. Bless us, Lord, throughout this day. Bring us back tonight with expectation, Jesus, to honor you in every way. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.